Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Village on Jeju Island. This is the Korea File, a weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from all around the peninsula. I'm Andre Gulek. On this episode, President of the Royal Asiatic Society of Korea, Brother Anthony. So I'm curious about the history of the Royal Asiatic Society. Um, like a lot of foreigners, I don't know much about it. I've heard of the lectures and I'm aware of it and I have a general idea of when it began and stuff. But can you tell me a little bit about the history? of the Royal Asiatic Society? Well, I mean, it was founded in 1900, and um, <clears throat> then it had a kind of hiatus for several years, and started again in 1911, and from then it went on in up to the Pacific War, 41, by which time there were no foreigners left in Korea. And then it started off again about 48, when um, H. H. Underwood came back and was living again in Yonsei. And then it was just sort of starting up again when the Korean War began. So then it stopped, of course. And um, about 1957 or so, then it um, started up again. Um, H. H. Underwood died during the Korean War. but um, Who's H. H. Underwood? Well, it's the second generation Underwood. The Underwoods? Horace Grant Underwood came in the 1880s. He was the founding Underwood. And then his son, Horace Horton Underwood, um, was one of the main founders of what's now called Yonsei University, Yonsei College. And um, I say he was a leading figure in the missionary thing. But the Royal Asiatic Society until the Pacific War was essentially the old-style model of a paper presentation discussion group. Um, there were papers were of sort of held to be of general interest, and there were even women present at the meetings then. But it was essentially a kind of gentleman's uh, academic group. And then we had our periodical publication transactions from 1900, which would publish then finished revised papers. This would have been one of the first. Uh, it's the first. Like giving access to Korea to the outside world academically. Well, it's the first, you know, Korean studies group, as it were, and the first Korean studies publication by far. I'm not sure how far it got out. You know, but uh, the first volumes of transactions announced that it's on sale in all sorts of obscure places across the globe. Um, because then, once we started up again in '58, it changed. Um, there were far less academically inclined missionaries. There were lots of other kinds of foreigners: diplomats, military, business, Peace Corps. So, so. 
uh, it changed essentially at that point from being sort of paper presentation discussion to uh, being a kind of social club offering people interested uh, some introductory lectures into Korea, past and present. And um, also then from after the war, uh, every weekend offering some one or two tours, excursions to different places outside of Seoul usually, or sometimes inside Seoul, uh, as a way of getting to know Korea. Because travel at that time was difficult, and because uh, at that time there was nothing really for a foreigner to do in Seoul at weekends, lots of people used to go. And also travel was difficult, there were no guidebooks, and so some of the missionaries or longer term residents, they had knowledge of uh, places and whatever, uh, which they would then impart. So for quite a while, I think probably the tours were almost more important to people than lectures. But anyway, there were both tours and lectures right through, and that still is still today. And essentially, that was the only activity together with uh, the publication of transactions once a year and um, a garden party, pretty well. And uh, by the, you know, up until the 1980s, 1980s was had over uh, well over a thousand members, lots of money, and we published books as well about Korea by members, people who had something more to say. And of course, this is the time when Korean studies had barely begun in America or Europe. And uh, also the office then, they bought in, even imported books published in English about Korea from overseas. Uh, and it served as a bookstore for people who wanted to buy books about Korea to learn more. Because there was no internet at that time. Uh, so now everything has changed because mostly we have the internet, nobody reads books anymore. Uh, there are guidebooks, there are all sorts of things you can do at a weekend, in Seoul or outside. Uh, so it's not quite as obvious, you know, that that particular model inherited from the 1950s, 60s, 70s doesn't quite apply anymore. So when I became president, the first thing I said was, well, we're asking people to pay 70,000 won a year membership. As if all we give them is the chance to hear two lectures a month, and if they have time, go on a tour. Uh, why would they bother? Uh, we have at least to try to invent some more activities uh, for people and to make it somehow worth their while and make it seem that after all, this is a, a good thing. And so now, in addition to the two lectures a month and to these excursions of these when the weather's warm, um, we have a, a movie club, a cinema club. We have a reading group once a month. People read a short story, Korean short story, in English, translated, and then talk about it. Uh, then we go, we have been going almost every month. Now we'll go maybe just four times this year to the National Museum. National Museum of Korea staff then offer a 
an in-depth guided tour of something, some small section gallery topic uh, in English uh, to our members, uh, things like that. And there's a business culture club as well for lunchtime activity. And yeah, that's about it. So we have a few more activities. Um, lectures still, there was a time 15 years ago when the lectures were way down, when people were just not interested anymore, or weren't finding the interesting talkers, speakers. But um, on the whole now, we have usually have about 50, 60, can be up to 80 or over 100 uh, at a lecture. Uh, and so the lectures are very popular. Tours are way down. So people just don't, well, they don't have time. Can you give me an idea uh, of the topic of some of the lectures? So the first lecture this year in January was about, um, actually, it was about a wall painting or a painting in a temple way down south. And then last Tuesday, a former ambassador, Korean ambassador to Britain and Japan, gave a talk about um, one of the two... North Korean terrorist terrorists, one of two North Koreans who were captured after the explosion that killed the Korean government in 1893, 1983. In Myanmar. Myanmar. And uh, from a very humanitarian point of view, this ambassador is a very humane person. And at a given point, he realized that this poor little kid, who was only 25 at the time, was stuck in prison in Myanmar and that nobody was interested in him. And after he, he hadn't, you know, couldn't really call him a terrorist. He wasn't at all, you know, engaged. Worse still, they'd given him and his colleague uh, hand grenades, uh, which they tried to use when they were being arrested by the Burmese. And at that point, they uh, they discovered to their cost that these hand grenades had been doctored. Uh, so that when you pulled out the pin, they exploded at once. Well, you know, the idea was that it would kill them. But since they were their arm's length, all they did, both of them lost an arm. And so you have this one-armed uh, North Korean kid. Uh, and uh, the only thing he could really talk about was how uh, guilty he felt toward his mother and sister, his father was dead, um, because he hadn't got married, he didn't have children. And he'd never, he, there was a girl, there had been a girl he might have married, but he'd never even held her hand before setting off for this stupid enterprise. So this former ambassador discussed... Had hoped maybe to help him, but uh, by the time he, you know, nobody was interested. You see, his, his theme was, you know, am I my brother's keeper? And why should this poor little kid have to rot in prison for 25 years and finally die there? Nobody even knows how or where he was buried. Or this ambassador was also the head of the national uh, security. Well, he was something important there. Okay. Yeah. He's a very good guy, very special guy. Not a spook, not a spy. No, uh, mm. a very, very intelligent person. He's written lots of books. Mm. And um, I say, essentially, a very humane person. Well, he's he was Catholic. He's, that was his topic. So that was last week, and then next week it'll be Michael Hurt, who's an anthropologist and a photo photographer, and he's uh, published a book on Korean street, what you call the street fashion. Okay. You know, the kids standing in Kangnam, wandering around mm -hmm. in strange garb. <laughs>
and um, James Pearson, who's the um, writer's correspondent in Korea, he recently published a book about North Korea, yeah, about this, so he's going to talk about that, present his book, maybe even sell some. And then there's Robert Newlin, who's published this wonderful book about Korean birds. Wonderful book. I don't really know how to find it. Anyway, birds in their context. And another lecture then, also a bit nature about forestation. And so it goes on. Uh, back for a second to. Catholicism, and uh, I'd like to talk about what brought you to Korea many years ago. How long have you been here? Well, we arrived in 1980, isn't it? Okay. 1780. I arrived in 80. Uh, what was your motivation? Why did you come to Korea? Well, uh, our, com our community has, I think, it is in France, our community has always, or especially at that time, sent out little groups of brothers, little fraternities. Uh, to live in challenging places, maybe. Uh, so we had little groups in Bangladesh, in Kenya, in Brazil. For a time we had one in Chicago. What, is your, what is your community? Tese, community of Tese. Ah, what is Tese? Tese is a village in France. Mm. Uh, the community was founded in 1940, during the war. Uh, essentially ecumenical community. Um, with a vision of reconciliation, peace, Christian unity. Mm. And from the 1960s on, uh, the village or the fields around have become a place of meeting for young people. Ah, so you set forth to try to bring some of these values yeah. into uh, challenging modern The modern world. Mm. So brothers go and live in challenging places. Mm. And then the young people come to Tizzy mostly for a week. How and did that How did that transition into academic work for you? You were, you were a professor at Sogang University. Well, you see, we have to earn our living. We don't take accept gifts and donations and sponsorship or whatever. Um, obviously, if you're in Bangladesh, there's really nothing you can do. So then you maybe have to have support from the in France, that's the big community. Uh, but here, though, <coughs> obviously you could earn money by teaching. And uh, it also happened, well, started with the Jesuit University, Catholic University. Um, they wanted somebody, actually starting with, they wanted somebody to teach French. So I started by, I've been in France 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, that's not possible. No problem with that. Je, Je suis. Yeah. <laughs> what it got to. Um, uh, and then at a given point I was moved into well, English, my native language, and then conversation is not my forte. Mm. And then they, one day they said, didn't you study medieval? And I said, yes. And they said, can you teach Chaucer? Yes. Can you teach Shakespeare? Anything. Uh, so I became a professor. Did uh, this, and then this led to your years of uh, becoming really immersed in all these aspects of Korean culture. 
Well, you know, you're here for the long term, and we came to we came to be with Koreans in Korea anyway. So I, for a long time, I never had any contact with expats or anything like that. Everybody I met was Korean, except for teaching people teaching in Seoul. Maybe, but um, I wasn't part of the RAS until quite recently. Uh, getting back for a second to your role as director of the RAS. Uh, how do you choose uh, lecturers? Do you choose or do people submit uh, proposals? Well, it, it, you know, it all varies. It's whatever you can find. Mm -hmm. So I and one or two other people on the council you know, have good ideas or bad ideas. Sometimes people offer and they have to think, is this really what's going to attract or appeal? Is it whatever? Mm -hmm. And um, it just happens. And uh, because I am also you know, in through my work as a translator, then I'm into the whole Korean studies program. You know, I know worldwide uh, an awful lot of the people who are engaged in Korean studies. So when they come, you know, then people who really know in depth about Korea and who are teaching on who are teaching it, there's quite a reservoir to be tapped there. People who come on sabbatical or Nowadays, you come and take a full-time job here. Mm. Uh, so it's a and then other people, you know, hear uh, hear somebody give a talk. So that would be very good for us. Now, and, and yourself, uh, you have some specialties. Uh, tea ceremony? Not ceremony. I I drink tea. Oh. <laughs> uh, I tend I am various. I especially don't really think there ever was a Korean tea ceremony. Okay. Um, Japan had its tea ceremony, still has, or ceremonies, mm -hmm. which are extremely fussy uh, and uh, regulated very Japanese. And there are, of course, now lots of Korean, mostly women, well, women of both sexes, um, uh, making a fuss about tea. Uh, but tea is not really apt to uh, enjoy fuss. I mean, the thing about tea is it's it's natural. Good tea has to be well made and then properly drunk. You don't have to dress up in handbook or whatever and, you know, have minute-by-minute minute, uh, stylized gestures. Okay. So the, the tea we do is life tea, and if you like... The Japanese word Zen, Sun, Suncha, Zen tea, um, because it's, as far as we're concerned, the people I know, the people I do tea with, um, it mostly comes down through the venerable Hyodang, who was a monk and an educator and a pretty modern guy, uh, who died in 1979, but that was his take on it. It was not ceremony. It was life tea to be either alone, sort of being focused uh, on something extremely simple. You take the hot water, you take the leaves, put them together, drink it. That's all it is. So, tea. That's the Korea file for this week. Thanks to Brother Anthony. 
You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, Stitcher, and at Spreaker.com. Tune in next week for part two of this conversation. And if you like the show, recommend it. From Hawson Village in Jeju Island, I'm Andre Gia. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.